You are listening to the Chasing PRs podcast. And today we are talking about the St. Lawrence Marathon. If you want to learn how to achieve a new PR in the marathon, despite having a terrible last week of taper, you need to hear to this episode. Stay tuned. Hi, we are your hosts, Rochelle Weeks and Diego Alcubierre. And with over 20 years of combined experience in coaching and physiotherapy, we created this podcast to help everyday runners who want to make the most out of their training and achieve new personal records while managing work, family, and life outside running. Welcome. Hello, Chasing PRs listeners. Before we officially start this episode, I want to talk to you about something very quickly. A lot of you have been asking how I was able to go from a one hour and six minutes 10K to a 36 minute 10K, how I'm able to run consistently sub three hour marathons. Like what's the secret, right? What's the training plan I use in? What are the best shoes, etc. all the questions? Well, I decided to finally put together a complete program to coach and show you exactly how I did it. It's called Running Mastery. And the goal is to help you become the runner you want to be and achieve your goals faster and with confidence. If you want to learn more, just go to bannister.coach, put your email in there, and let's start the conversation. Let's go into the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chasing PRs. I am Diego. I'm Rochelle. And welcome back to another episode. I know we said last week that we were going to talk, to talk about how to prepare for your next training block, but Rochelle just had an amazing weekend running the San Lorenzo Marathon, so we're, we're going to talk about that. And next week we have a special, really special episode. Yes. I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, so in... Three weeks, we'll do what we said we we're going to do today. <laughs> exactly. Stay <Day> tuned. <laughs> um, so before we start, talk, we're going to talk about your last week of training because it was different. Let's yeah. Say, a lot of different, a lot of things to trip on or difficulties. How, how, how Some hiccups, hiccups along the way. Yes. Yeah. That's the, way, the right yeah. way to say it. But let's start with uh, chasing sprints and the runner of the week. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay, chasing sprints. I was reading yesterday about running faster. And I've seen a lot of people tried it. And a lot of the people that are pro running faster, the reasoning behind it is that it will teach your body how to burn fat. Right? Mm -hmm. I've never understood that, that logic. And you were telling me about that also. Yeah, I just, I was saying... I feel like the goal is to not get into your fat stores. So if you're running, say, a marathon, you technically around 32K, your glycogen is depleted. And as long as you've been fueling steadily throughout the race, you should have glucose stores to rely on. But then if you don't, you're going to start burning fat. And that's when you hit the wall and you slow down. Yeah. So to me, like teaching your body to burn fat, I thought that's what we try to avoid during a race. Okay. Like we, we want to rely on glucose, not fat. Yeah. And... uh the other thing is that we're always burning fat, right? Now we're sitting, talking, and we're burning fat. Yeah. And e even when you are running super fast and your glycogen storage are being depleted super fast, you are still burning fat. 
But there's people that say that it helps. And I've, I've read in that, that book that Run Like a Pro, Matt Fitzgerald, mm -hmm. when he trained with the NAS. And he's elite, yeah. Uh, they have these things called depletion runs. And they go out and do one or two a training cycle, a long run without having any breakfast. I think when I read a book, like the purpose of it, it's more like a mental thing that if you're going to hit the wall and it's more like teaching your body how to run without carbs than to teaching your body how to burn more fat, fat more efficiently. That mm -hmm. makes sense? Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, you're going to feel like shit on the marathon. Why don't feel like shit during a whole long run? <laughs> True. <laughs> but I was reading some research about it and there are negative sides of running fasting. A few of them are, uh, it may lead to lower testosterone levels and muscle growth. So you're affecting your, your performance or even your, your training is, going, is being compromised about it. And uh, the other one is like, it can break down your muscles if you run more than your glycogen storage. Mm -hmm. So if you have a thousand calories of glycogen storage, and you go and burn 1,500, your muscles start to break down. And that's, I think, opposite of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. While yeah. training. You want to be strong, not withering away muscles. <laughs> and, well, the, I, I read a, like, like a meta-analysis of running fasted, and the only possible benefit of it is like if you want to run super slow for a long, long time. Yeah, so maybe like an ultra marathon. If you're not trying to like race Wait, it, you're just that, trying that, to finish it. Yeah, exactly. Like if you have a 100-miler race and you're just trying to get it done. Yeah, but I, I also think it's going to take time. It's not going to, okay, I'm going to do three fasted runs during mm -hmm. my 16th training cycle and my body is ready to burn yeah. fat and run slow. It, I think it's something that takes years. And we, I personally don't recommend it. I have a feeling too that it would increase, we've talked about red S. Yep. On the podcast before, relative energy deficiency in sport. So it's when you're not fueling enough to maintain the exercise. So the calories in are not enough to support the calories out. And I feel like it would ramp up your risk of that okay. big time. Because if you're fasting, then you have to make up for, like, are these people really adding more calories after the run is done? So if you don't eat breakfast and then you go do like a three hour long run, do you just then eat lunch, snack, supper like normal? Or are you having like... Two lunches, like, are you making up for the lost calories? Because if you're not, you're going to increase your risk of red S. Yeah, and you need to, like, eat calories, like, for two, because it's, like, the breakfast calories and mm -hmm. all the calories that you burn during your run. You need to make up all of that. Yeah. And yeah you're, I think you're right. Yeah. So, it's, I don't recommend it. I don't use it with the people yeah. I train or help. But there, there's the evidence, there's the facts. And so, our goal is that you make your own decisions with yeah. more knowledge. Yeah, I'm not doing it. I would get too hangry and no one would want to run hangry. with me. <laughs> and I think knowledge makes you a better runner. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Just knowing more things, the, the little things that you can change or not change without having a coach or asking a coach uh, in the day-to-day -day basis are going to make you a better, faster runner over the long run. Being a student of the sport goes a long way. Yeah, I love that pun, over yeah. the long run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and let's do um, the runner of the week. I, I think I, I miss the 
of the runner of the week oh, when yeah. we did it that day. And so I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do it in, in the same. So table. we won't just hit our desks exactly. at the same time. <laughs> so runner of the week <laughs> is Stefan. What's his last name? I don't know how to pronounce Stefan's last name. Do you? No, I, I will pronounce it in, in Spanish probably. R a c l e Rackle. Okay, Stefan, we're really good friends, and I don't know how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> but I'm gonna text you after this is done. Okay, so who's Stefan? Oh, what what's his life? Right, yes. because people we, we 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 sometimes talk about people we know, and we don't give context about. I know it. he's not elite, so unless you live in Ottawa, you might not know him. Um, okay, so Stefan, he's a running friend of ours. We met through running. He runs with K to J Fitness. He's new to running. He's only been running a couple of years. He got into it um, just like during the pandemic or right before the pandemic, and he ran the St. Lawrence half marathon on Saturday. And he took over six minutes off of his personal best time. He ran a 129.07. So I think it was like a 4.14 pace. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And uh, I was very confident that he could do it because he'd been running so well. And I think he knew he could do it as well if he had a good day. But afterwards, everybody was congratulating him because he took six minutes. And that's six minutes if you're a two and a half hour half marathoner is like not as big of a deal like if if you're the slower you run the more chances you have to take off big chunks yeah the of time. percentage is way lower but to be under an hour and 40 so you're you're a decently quick runner and then to take six minutes off is a big deal and i heard someone ask him like after the finish what made the difference like how did you take six minutes off and i heard him say i ran more and most of it was easy he really slowed down so he had a high volume of easy running his weekly mileage reached the 90s. Yeah, he, he got like a marathon yes. weekly mileage. Yeah. So he he slowed down most of his runs compared to when he did the half last fall in yeah. uh, Picton, where he did his other time. And then he was able to run faster at the track because he felt more fresh. And then he did strength training twice a week, 30 minutes. And that's what he said was the goal really of that. his success. I love it when people say that. Like sometimes I listen to elite runners. Like Cam Levins was interviewed. He's Canada's record holder in the marathon, and they were asking him like, "What's the key to your success?" And one of the things he said was like solid, heavy strength training. And as a running physio, I'm like fist pumping and listening to it. Like, yes, more people need to listen to this. Yeah. But yeah, just high volume of easy running. He really nailed his track sessions, and he did strength training twice a week. Yeah, and I I want to say like. He started running, he, he's right now in the 45 plus category, 45, mm-hmm. 49 category. Uh, so he started running at 43, 44, something like that. And he's improving and getting better and getting faster. And I think that's a very important lesson because I see a lot of people, that, oh, I started running when I was 30. And at 40, you you believe that you you peaked. Mm-hmm. And this is a great example that at 46, 47, you can still run fast and yeah. improve and improve and improve. I, I still see people, Mike, for example, He's still running faster than ever, and he's 52 or something. Yeah, he's from K to J, and he's yeah. doing 245, Mar- 250 marathons. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it gives hope. It gives me hope, at least. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, he's only been running for a couple of years. He's still learning how to race. Yeah. Like, this is only his third half marathon or something like that, I think. Like, I feel like it took me 10 to really figure it out and nail it. So I think there's going to be faster times to come for him. There, there's a saying that you you are the average of the five people you hang out with. So if you want to improve your finances, hang out with five people richer than you. If you want to improve your 
family lifestyle, hang out with five people that have better family lifestyle than you. And if you want to improve your running, hang out with people faster than you mm -hmm. and your average will, will come up. And I think uh, that's, that's important of being part of a, of a training group uh, to have faster people than you because it motivated you and you, you start, we just talk about knowledge. You start to see how they train, how mm -hmm. and you you hear things, right? How how are they recovering? How what are they eating before? What they're doing after? And when you start to get all this information for people from people that are faster than you, talking about running, it helps. And um, so if if you if you are like a very you don't like people, maybe introvert. Yeah, maybe you can uh, join an online group or have an online coach mm -hmm. that you just email with or WhatsApp or, or whatever. But yeah, just learning and hanging out with pe people that are faster than you will help you. And I think, Stefan, it's it's a great example about mm -hmm. Stefan. I think that happened when I lived in Goose Bay. I think I've said this on the podcast before. I'm from Labrador. And I was kind of like, you know, the big fish in a small pond. Yeah. So only eight, 9,000 people in Goose Bay. I was one of the faster runners there, the fastest female there some years that I was there and I often just felt like I had no one to run with like there was one guy who was faster than me but he was so much faster than me that I couldn't run with him okay and now I ha I'm just surrounded by Fast. people who are quicker than me yeah and, and you've been awesome. hitting half marathon PRs almost 5k PRs yeah and the topic of today uh marathon and Boston qualifying time that yes. was your big goal congratulations yeah thank you so Let's talk about that. So you ran your marathon on Saturday. Yeah. But let's talk about the week. Okay, how, how was your last tapering week? It, so the three weeks, the first two weeks of the taper went really, really well. I did a three-week taper. Um, the last week, I thought the wheels were falling off, and I was like, I don't even know what's going to happen with this. So basically, the weekend before, Emily got the stomach bug, my five-year-old daughter. And then my husband got the stomach bug and they were, it wasn't like a minor bug. They were both very, very sick. So I'm panicking, thinking, I don't have enough time to recover from this when I get it at six days out. And I think I might've got it, but I just felt nauseous for a couple of days and that was it. Okay. And then I was good. So I was like, cool. Okay. I'm good. And then I woke up one day and had like a really sore throat and I was sneezing and I was like, oh my God, I'm sick. There's no way I'm going to recover. And I have asthma. So when I get sick, it affects my breathing a lot. And then one of our friends, Tracy, who's with K to J, I was talking to him and he was like, oh, my allergies are out of control. Have you taken like an allergy med to see if it helps? And I did that and it just disappeared. Okay. Another, another bullet dodged. I'm not sick. Um, and then on Tuesday, I went for a run with our friend Matt and I wore my super shoes for the first time since November. Yep. And I've had a history of Morton's aroma on my left foot. And I kind of purposely wore them to see like, because yeah, I've had an issue with it a couple of times throughout the training, but not in a good few weeks. And sure enough, after that, I was like, oh my God, I feel, I feel my Morton's normal. I can't wear those shoes. So then it was like, what am I going to wear? And panicking. So I just ended up wearing my long shoe, my long run shoes, my topos. So then like that played in my head, like super shoes are supposed to give you this big competitive advantage and I don't, I can't wear them. And then we have a 12 year old Husky. He's going to be 13 this year. And he's kind of taken a turn for the worse the last couple of weeks, like okay. his mobility and he's losing weight and not eating a lot. And it really went south on Thursday. Like he was diarrhea and throwing up and not eating anything. Sounds and we were fun. having to like carry him up and down the stairs. So he kind of came around Friday before I left and my parents took care of him all weekend and he came around a bit. 
And then Emily just goes through phases sometimes where she just doesn't sleep well at all. And it's all linked in with her epilepsy, the type yep. she's diagnosed with. So like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, she was just wide awake from like 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. So I slept like five hours. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be getting really good sleep. Yeah. But my parents took her Thursday night and I slept like nine hours. Okay. I caught up. And then so we like get up to Cornwall on Friday and I'm like, okay, I'm not sick. I don't have the stomach bug. I don't have a cold. My foot feels okay in the new shoes. Bruno's stable. I'm good. And then I, we got a bunch of beer to celebrate after the marathon. And I squat down and was putting it in the fridge. And this like sharp pain happened in my groin. This was like Friday, Friday afternoon, okay. less than 24 hours before the start. And how, I was like, what the hell is this? And how did you manage the mental aspect of it? Because I think it's super easy to, to start to imagine the worst case scenario. I'm not, I'm not running the marathon. Uh, I'm not going to achieve my PR. You've been training for this Boston qualifying time for years now, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, so how did you manage it? I, I went to bed Friday night and I couldn't get to sleep because I kept thinking, is my hip going to make me not be able to run? Because I could feel it walking after that little squat. Um, but honestly, I just kept thinking of all the training runs, the K to J track sessions I did. I did like 25 strength sessions. I had done six long runs over 30 kilometers. I'd reached 90K weeks. And then I started thinking like, with COVID, I couldn't even do a marathon. And last year I was injured and I couldn't even, I could hardly run at this time. So I was like, I'm way, I'm in a much better place than that. And then I was like, you know, taper does weird things to your body. Yeah. So I was like, I could wake up tomorrow and not feel my hip at all. And that's exactly what happened. I woke up and it was like, I don't have any hip pain. And yeah. I did my warm up and I was like, do you know what? That, did, that, that didn't happen. I just put it out of my head and was like, there was no hip pain yesterday because I didn't want to be thinking about it every step during the run. Same with my foot. I was like, that could come back during the race. And that's something I can't run through. Like basically two of my toes go numb and start burning and the whole like mobility in my foot gets really weird and I almost have to limp. But I just was like, I think I've gotten good at compartmentalizing things. Yeah, you learned box. that in the past few years. <laughs> I put, this, put it in a box and just tucked But it away. I think there are two important lessons here. One is focusing on the positives, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can focus on all the bad things that happened during that last week, but you decided to focus on the, all the good things that you did in the past four, four months, right? Yeah. Just training through the snow and blizzards and all the strength training sessions mm -hmm. that you did and everything. I think that's, that, that's, they say that you can't, if you want to start having negative thoughts, for example, you can't say, I'm going to stop having negative thoughts you yeah. need to you need to replace it with something mm -hmm. right and in this case positive thoughts and focusing on the good the, mm -hmm. the, the things that you did good correctly was the goal and uh i'm a big fan of the ted lasso show have you seen it what is it called ted lasso dead last lasso no, no? okay no. it's an apple tv okay it's my favorite show right now it's about a oh. football soccer coach but i I was just watching an episode yesterday and someone threw a bike because he was learning to, to, to ride a bike. And the other, the other guy said like, how's that helping anyone that you throw them? Right? So when you, my point here is that when you have negative thoughts, that, oh, my marathon is going to feel like this and I'm going to feel my hip and my Morton's neuroma is going to blah, blah, blah. How's that helping anyone? Mm -hmm. It's not help. If you can't do anything about it, 
don't yeah. do it. You just have to let it go. And about no, no Morton's aroma because I had to Google what the hell was it. What is this thing? Uh, there's this triathlete called Wen Jorgensen. You know who she is. I've heard the name. Okay, she she won the Olympic gold medal almost eight years ago, and okay. she was world champion. And she was she had surgery to remove or improve her Morton's aroma. Mm. Just fun fact of the day. Interesting. Hopefully, <laughs> I don't have to go that far. No. Yeah. Um, okay, so. That was your, your week. Yeah. Uh, so you woke up the morning of the marathon. How was your body? How was your mindset? I was, everything felt fine. I was tired because we had to wake up at four in the morning because we had to be at the buses for 530 because it's a point to point course yep. to shuttle us out. So I was tired because I slept like very broken five hours. But I remember listening to Natasha Wodak on the Shakeout podcast. She was interviewed after getting um, the Canadian marathon record in Berlin. And she slept terribly the week leading up to that. And the night before, she did not sleep well at all. And I just thought, she went out and broke the Canadian record. I can, I can at least it. go qualify for Boston <laughs> uh, on this amount of sleep. So it, that was the only thing bugging me. And I just was like, I'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I never sleep well before I race. Yeah. Never, never, never. Everyone says the night, the second night, like two nights before is the most important one. Okay. And that's when Emily was at mom and dad's and I slept nine hours. So I think that probably helped. Yeah. Okay. And um, how did you manage? Okay. Mentally, how did you work? Good. Yeah. Kind of forgot everything that happened cool. over the week. Just let it brush off my shoulders and was just like super focused. Uh, how did you manage your feeling? Because waking up that early i know mm -hmm. if i woke up at four in the morning i'm not hungry yeah i can't so how do you manage your feeling and your breakfast and i ate at 4 30 because i was like i need i know i'm gonna need to eat at least two hours out and the race started at seven so okay. i had two packs of plain oatmeal which is 200 calories and then i put a bunch of maple like pure maple syrup in it and then ate that are you used to having that before yeah your long runs yeah okay and before races that usually helps um, and that, that, that's the only thing you ate? Mm -hmm. I was going to try to eat more. I had graham crackers and I was like, I just can't even think about putting anything else in my stomach because I wasn't hungry. Okay. Yeah. And how was the race, the start of the race, the cars? How did you feel? Did you, did you feel any needles, pains? No, everything felt good. Like we did the warm up. It was, it was cool. The wet, the weather was perfect. Yeah. It was like eight or nine degrees. Um, no rain until right at the end. And I think there was a 10 kilometer per hour headwind, which is like. Nothing, because earlier in the week it was saying it was going to be 30. So everything was good. But do you think, sorry, do you think that's perspective of expectations? Because imagine if they said the wind was going to be 10 and it's 10, maybe mentally you feel, oh, that's bad. Because, but because it was, they said it was going to be 30 yeah. and it's 10, that helps. I feel like mentally I was like, okay, there's going to be a big headwind. I okay. got to wrap my head around that. And then when it was 10, it was like, only 10. This exactly. is great. Yeah. And it's like, normally the winds would be a tailwind, but it just happened to be a headwind. So it wasn't like, why can't it be a tailwind? It was just like, it's not 30. That's, okay. I can manage this. Focusing on the positives again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So everything went smooth on till all the marathon? So, yeah, everything like that. We did the warm up. We had a bunch of like. What did you do for a warm up? I only ended up running about 700 meters just okay. to like loosen up and like get a little bit warm and be able to take my jogging pants and my jacket and stuff off. Okay. 
And then it was enough time to like come back and pee quickly, throw my stuff at some of our teammates and then go get in line. Um, but yeah, the like the start, I was a bit worried because there's 300 of us and it's on like a gravel road for the first two kilometers and it kind of loops around. But everybody spread out pretty quickly. Like I think we, it's not like Boston where there's corrals and you're put with a bunch of people your speed. You kind of just, you look at the other runners. Like you and, look fast. Adjust yourself. I'm not going to go ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> like So you just kind of, try to figure out where you're supposed to be. And me and Crystal and Matt, two of our teammates, um, we had very similar goal times. So we kind of, I was a little bit nervous that there would be like a pack of us running because a lot of us had similar goal times. Same with um, a woman named Jessie Blondin that I used to run with on the OAC team here in Ottawa. I knew her goal time was around ours. And I was like, there's so many of us trying to do 3.30 and this course gets really narrow and tangly. Like, how are we all going to run the tangent and get the water? But we all kind of spread out nicely and it was fine. Okay, cool. Yeah. So like the first, I did, I was like a metronome for the first half of the race. It was like 455, 455, 455. Like there was twice when we picked it up a little bit. And it was because um, two of our friends, uh, Kristen and Deborah, and then two of our teammates, Mike and Dan, they were alternating at the aid stations. Yep. And they were just pumping us up so much. And I'd be like, they'd be cheering, yeah. And I'd be like, yes. And I'd be running and I'd be like, crap, I'm going too fast enough to slow down. So I had to catch myself a couple of times. But pretty much like we crossed the half marathon mat in 143. Okay. And we needed to be across it at like 145 to get under our 330 goal. Yeah. And so we crossed and I was like, okay, first half is done. It went well. So your, your plan all the time was to run 455 to do one 328. Yeah, it was like 4.56. Okay. So when it, whenever my watch dinged 4.55, I was like, that's okay. That's like... And you weren't scared that you weren't going to be able to hold that pace for the whole marathon? It, it felt so easy that what I, what I kind of read about and learned about with even pacing strategies is that you'll go out and it'll feel really comfortable. And then the same, you're keeping the same pace and it just gets harder and harder and harder to maintain. That's exactly what happened. Okay. So going through the halfway point, I, it was like a five out of 10 effort. It wasn't an easy run, maybe a six, but it was like, if I wanted to, I could have been chatting away to Crystal and Matt. Like it felt very comfortable. Okay. It, then 29K, there's this like big downhill and we're starting to approach the gas station where we turn right and meet with the half marathoners. And I was still feeling good down the downhill, but it's like when that leveled out and we had to go up again, because okay. from 24K to 35K was quite rolling hills, nothing like Boston, but just gently up and down and up and down. When I hit 32, I was like, okay, this is, this is more of a seven out of 10, eight out of 10 effort now. Like this is starting to get hard, but I'm at 32. But then all of a sudden that very quickly switched to just hard. Okay. Like by 35K, I was like, oh shit, this is like 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 effort now. And I started getting some stomach issues, like just nausea and like stitches up under my rib cage. Okay. Like every breath, it was really sharp. So this started mostly around 35K, which was frustrating because I had the whole course memorized. And the rolling hill stopped at 35K and you pop out onto the Cornwall Canal. And it's just a straight shot and mostly flat. So I was like, when I hit 35K, I'm going to go. And I hit 35K and I was like, I'm not going to go. I might actually have to stop or throw up. Like I felt really nauseous. And then I've dealt with stitches all my life. And I 
feel like with some mobility work at the warm-up, I've, all, I've been able to get rid of it lately, but that didn't happen. So like every breath I took in the last 7K was like an 8 out of 10 stab up under my ribs. Wow. So And every time I tried to push it harder, I breathed heavier, and then that pain got worse. So at this point, our little pack of, there's like five of us that did the whole race together, it was down to just me and Crystal. So the others had dropped off for various reasons. And then I was running with Crystal and we're very similar with like our five, 10 and a half marathon paces. Um, but then she started to pick it up and I just couldn't go with her, like my stomach and my stitches. And I, I just told her, go, go, go. And so I just tried to keep her in sight to not die too much. Okay. And it's funny because I was trying to do 456 and I would look down and get so mad at myself because it was like 458, 459, 458, 459. And I was like, I'm losing my goal. And that's all I focused on was that I wasn't doing 456 anymore. Okay. But I kept 458, 459 yeah, for the rest two, of the whole race. Two, three seconds, the difference, it's nothing. It was so stupid because in my head, I was like, I'm, I'm losing it. I'm not doing it. Yeah. But it just kept going 458, 459. There was one, I got like really thirsty, even though I had drank at like every aid station except for three maybe. So like, every, like 12 aid stations, I had a drink. I just became super dehydrated and really parched. And so I actually had to stop at an aid station and take like two or three glasses of water and like chug them and then go again. And that was like 3K out. Like I felt like I couldn't finish if I didn't get a drink. And was it was hard weird. to pick up the pace again? Because I, when I stop at the marathon, it's super hard yeah, to start running hard. again. But there's something special with Cornwall because you, the, the marathon's a point-to-point -point course, but the half and the 10 and the five are all out and backs. Yeah. So 32K in. I started seeing all my friends and patients who were doing the half marathon. And then 37K in, I started seeing all the my 10. friends and patients who were coming out for the 10. Yep. And then 40K in, I started seeing the 5K. <laughs> and I didn't realize how many people I knew who were doing the race. So I'm like running around and, and they're all fresh because they've just started. And I just hear all these people like cheering. yelling and cheering. And I think that's what kind of got me through the last couple kilometers. Okay. But I, it was like... I kept the same pace, but the beginning, it was like a five out of 10 effort. And by the end, it was like a 12 out of 10. That's like it was really, got really bad. <laughs> like two of our teammates, um, Stephanie and uh, Randy, I saw them at the 41K park. And afterwards they were like, you did not look. Well. Yeah. Like I remember I couldn't even smile or wave at them. I was just like, where is this? Well, yeah, you have your race to run. And... Yeah. But it ended up being like 456 average pace. Exactly. That's awesome. Which is exactly the pace I said I wanted to do. That, I think that's a very bold strategy. Because I've seen people that start a little slower and then pick it up, like a, the mm -hmm. famous negative split. Uh, people like me that I, I can't, I just can't run slow. that slow in the first part because I'm always, mm -hmm. it, do, it doesn't matter if I run a marathon in three hours or a six hour marathon, I suffer the last 10 days, always. Yeah. So I say, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna suffer the last 10k, I I should suffer having a awesome and fast first 32k. But I'm really happy that it worked for you. Yeah, it worked. It still really hurt. Like it's funny because people looked at my splits and they were like, "That was such an even pace. You did great." And like on paper, it looks like I had this perfectly executed race, but it well, felt it was. It really just, it, terrible. It just felt yeah. Up. And it was just the stitches and the nausea. I don't know if I was able, if I would have been able to like pick it up had I not had that. Okay. Because I was really tired, like my legs were pretty wrecked at the end. But I feel like I just, it was a hard barrier that stopped me from going any quicker. 
almost like, you know, with your hamstring, you said like, if you tried to go faster than 410, I think it was. Yeah. It just was like, no, but you could do 410. Yeah. I felt like that's what my stitches, they were still there at 458. Okay. But they got really bad when I tried to like push it below 455, just like three seconds, which felt like a world of a difference. No, no, no. When when you're running a marathon, three seconds per kilometer is... Yeah. Okay. You can feel the difference for sure. Um, Will you recommend that race? I would, I think. I do. I think you need to, you need to know it's not flat. And like, I think we went out and did the last 25K, the route, and we thought 14 to 24K was quite flat and it wasn't. So that was a little bit of a surprise. The beginning, like up until 14K is like pancake flat. It's beautiful. But it is, it is a nice route. Like it's, it's flatter. I think the risk is that you could run the whole thing by yourself. Yeah. Because it, it's 300 people and it has to be 300 people because it's on a cycling path and you get combined with these three other races so it gets really congested so if you're not good at running alone it might not be the race for you if you need to thrive off crowds and people then you better make sure you get friends out who are going to go to every aid station which like Kristen and Deborah and and Mike and Dan did do and it was funny because Dan you have to cross this patch of grass like you know because you you did the half yeah you cross this patch of grass and I remember looking at it being like this looks like a mountain that I have to get over. It's like 200 meters from the finish line. But before that, Dan and Mike were standing there and I was so focused and discouraged that I wasn't able to pick it up that I kind of, and I was so nauseous and just out of it at that point, I kind of forgot the big goal. And I crossed and Dan was like, you're going to Boston, baby. And then I looked at my watch and I looked at the clock and it was like 328 and I was like almost there. And I just kind of went, oh my God. I am going to go to Boston. You forgot about it. I kind of forgot amongst all the pain and torture at the end of the race. Yeah. I was just looking at the elevation of the race uh, and it's not flat. No. Around 150 meters of elevation throughout the course. It's yeah. not the worst. No, definitely not the worst. Boston is, in my, according to my Garmin, it's around 270. Yeah. But a flat, a flat marathon is below 100. So, yeah. But yeah. it's not that bad. Which I think if you're looking for a flat marathon in our area, it'd be the Pitit Train de Nord in Quebec. Because yeah. that's actually like that's build even flat and it's very flat. It's a net downhill. And yeah. yeah. So it wasn't, I think if you don't mind running alone and it's a beautiful course, like it, it was mostly on a cycling path. There was a part where the Cornwall Canal was on the left and the St. Lawrence River was on the right. And just that combo, it was so pretty and it was really well organized. Uh, the aid stations were exactly where where they were going to be. There was Gatorade and gels on the course. I I have to figure out. I have a feeling I did something wrong with my fueling. Okay. Because I shouldn't have got. I got really nauseous, and it started at the half marathon mark, but it was very mild. But then by the time I hit thirty five, it was like I might actually have to go throw up in these bushes. Like it got really like distracting, and then the stitches too. So I think I need, we have a sports dietitian at work, but if anyone listening has any ideas, because my coach, our coach, JR, he wonders if I started fueling too early because I took Gatorade at two and a half K. At 5K, I took um, like a caramel caffeinated goo. Yeah. And then at 11K, I took a Morton. 17K, I took an exact. And that was all part of my plan. But I'd done that in my long runs and it was, yeah. I don't know if I'd ever taking it quite that early and that's everything I read was like fuel early so that you don't hit the wall but obviously something went wrong well it's 
I don't think it's necessarily, you can call it necessarily wrong. Yeah. It's just, you never know how your body's going to react. Maybe next marathon, you can do the same exact thing and mm-hmm. you're going to feel great because the din- dinner is going to be different. You, your sleep's going to be different. Yeah. Your levels of anxiousness or, or excitement are going to be different. So it mm-hmm. worked at the end because you didn't hit the wall. Maybe maybe you feel it, yeah. but your pace don't show. It didn't show that it hit the wall. Exactly. So the hit, hitting the wall, you, when, yeah. you, when someone hit the wall, you can see it in mm-hmm. their face. It's like a big, sharp yeah. cliff uh, in their face. So overall, I, I think it worked. Yeah, I don't think I hit the wall. I just would love to find a way not to finish strong because I don't think I'll ever finish and cross the line being like, I, don't, I feel lovely. But I'd like to finish with it with all the nausea and the and the stitches, like that sharp, sharp pain up under my ribs. But I'm gonna anyway, I've got some plans to try to figure it out. And you're you're running Chicago mm-hmm. October. Do you think you're gonna try to go again very steady for the whole race? I think so. Okay. I kind of I'm not one that I'm not good at picking it up. And I get really mad when my pace starts to slow down. Okay. Like I got mad when it slowed by two seconds. Yeah. I don't know if I would do well if it slowed by like 15 or 20. Okay. I think I'll try to keep the even strategy, but I don't know what my goal time will be yet. I'll try to go faster than what I did because it's a flatter course as long as it's not a big headwind. And you have another marathon of experience and four months months of training. It's interesting because we talk about Crystal on the podcast because she's she's one of our good friends and I train a lot with her because we're both, we've both been trying to qualify for Boston for a couple of years now. And, uh, it's it's interesting. I was thinking about this last night because we both ran a 328. Crystal was about 50 seconds or so ahead of me. And we're talking about how to get faster in the marathon. And our strategies are totally different. Mm-hmm. So her best 5K, I can't remember what it is. I think it's under 22, but not under 21. So her strategy, which I totally agree with and we've encouraged her to do, is to focus on a 5K this fall. Like get her quick speed up so at the track... She's got quicker legs and a quicker turnover and she's stronger. I have, I feel like I've got decent speed at the track and I'm under 20 minutes for 5K. And my 5K time tells me I should be under 315 for a marathon. Yeah. I need to just do more marathons. Yeah. Because Crystal's done six, I believe. I feel like that was my third, but I feel like it was really my second because my official second one, I ended up having to walk a lot of it because I got IT band issues. Emily was only 11 months old, so I don't know. I didn't do any strength training, so I probably shouldn't have been doing a marathon less than a year after having baby. Um, Or if if I did, I should have strength trained properly to do it. But it just was interesting. Like, I'm going to try to get quicker by doing more marathons. Yeah. She's going to try to get quicker by training for a 5K, and it'll probably both work. And we'll run Boston together next year. Yeah. And we'll probably both run faster and well, but we're coming from two totally different strategies. Yeah, it's where are your weakest links? Yeah. Right, we've talked about this a lot. And in Crystal's case, it's speed. In your case, it's mm-hmm. more experience and more mileage. Yeah. yeah. And we ran with uh, Matt and Jeff, who are both on our team. And it's interesting because I think if we raced a 5K, they would both beat me and Crystal. Like they're stronger and faster in our track workouts. Yeah. But Crystal got her weekly mileage up in the hundreds. I was I hit 90 one week. And then Jeff and Matt, I believe, were in the 60s. 60s. Yeah. And that's the order we finished in, our little group of four. Yeah. Crystal finished ahead of me. And then Matt and Jeff really hit the wall and struggled for the last, like, 10K. 
but I think they're both quite quick on the track. So it would be the same thing for them. Like if they want to get better at the marathon, they'll probably up their weekly mileage yeah. and get the volume there. Yeah, but I think it's easier to run more than to run fast. Yeah. If you totally you can increase your weekly mileage without thinking much about it, mm -hmm. you just need to run more. I only need to do 10 more K than what I did this time. Um, but when you want to run, go from a 22 5K to a 25K, mm -hmm. that's not something you can do that easily. Yeah. Let's say that. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to talk in two weeks about uh, how we're going to approach our next training cycle. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be really interesting. What, you, what, what, did you, what are you going to do the same? What I'm going to do the same? What are we going to change? Mm -hmm. And with the goal of both of us running faster marathons in, in Chicago in the fall. Yeah. Because yeah. it's flatter, definitely flatter than Boston, but flatter than my one by a bit as well. Yeah. And let's see how, because the other two marathons have you done, I, I know that the, the one in Newfoundland was a very, yeah, not, not that many people. No, I did one. So that one was in Nova Scotia. It was quiet and it was like rural roads okay. with a big camber, like a slant. And I think that's what got my IT band. And it was the, pretty dead. The, your first one was a big marathon? Italy was, no, like it wasn't big, big. It was bigger than what we just did, but it wasn't huge. It was in a little uh, town called like in Cividale in like northeastern Italy. So it wasn't big. Let's see how you yeah. like and perform on a big marathon. When there's like thousands of the runners, yeah. not just 299 other runners. I love <laughs> bigger marathons. Yeah. I, I, my two favorite marathons are the two biggest I've run. And Boston and... Frankfurt. Oh, Frankfurt. Yes, you've said that before. Okay. And um, the, it, mentally, I talked about it last week. It's the easiest marathon because you are distracted. And they, if, imagine if you, if you picked up because there were two or three people in a aid station cheering up, when there's mm -hmm. thousands of people cheering up. Like nonstop. Like nonstop, yeah. exactly. My, I, I was, my best kilometer at Boston was... Uh, through the Wesley College. Yeah, where, where, where all the women are screaming. And trying to kiss you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. stop, but... <laughs> That's <laughs> why it was your quickest. <laughs> yeah, maybe I didn't touch me. <laughs> I have a mission. <laughs> I have a race to do. <laughs> um, okay, so congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I think you have, you have a little more than six minutes buffer from Boston. Yeah. And if we, if we see the cut of times for the last 10 years... It was only one year that it was bigger than six mm -hmm. minutes. And that was the year it was COVID, so the field size was reduced, I think, right? Yes. Yeah, so hopefully hopefully there's no pandemics next year that, like, shut no, anything down. You, you are used to no pandemics. No new we pandemics. Can, yeah. We can nail the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, anything else you want to add? No, I think that's it. I think, uh, yeah, just if you're, I think maybe if you're listening to this and you're injured or have been injured and you haven't been able to get your goal races, just remember to just stay patient, be consistent. Running's not going anywhere. It'll come back because this time last year, I was like devastated that I couldn't do my marathon. Yeah, you changed like and... for a marathon to another marathon, to a half marathon, to a 5K. To a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, like we talked about that in an episode and yeah. it was, I was in a pretty dark place. And now here a year later, I've got a half and a full PR and I'm going to Boston, hopefully, and training for Chicago. And yeah, just injuries are part of the sport. You just have to learn how to deal with them and... Be patient when they come. Awesome. So see you next week for yeah. that uh, special episode. Yeah, and I'm excited. Have an awesome week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you love it, give it a share. 
please consider subscribing to the show and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. And visit chasingprs.run for all the latest episodes, get our free newsletter and all the cool running stuff we have there. Thanks for joining.